again, welcome to Alger Assembly of God. Welcome back. This is the conclusion of kind of a short series beginning the year of 2022. It's entitled New Year Revolutions. Came across this story about a man who had moved into a retirement home to spend the rest of his life there. It wasn't long until he made a number of friends among the other residents. Now, there was one woman that he was especially attracted to, and she was especially attracted to him. They spent a lot of time together, and finally, one evening, he proposed, asking her to marry him. The next morning, he woke up remembering his proposal, but he couldn't remember her response. So he went to her. He apologized. He said, I am super embarrassed. He said, I believe that I proposed to you last night, but I can't remember if you said yes or no. Oh, thank goodness, she replied. I remember saying yes to someone, but I couldn't remember who asked me. Now, resolutions are a little bit like that. We found out that uh, it didn't seem like people in this church body made resolutions, but we know that about half of Americans make resolutions, but we struggle to live up to them. And in the case of this gentleman, many times we make a resolution, but we either can't remember them or we can't live up to them. So the challenge, we said, was not just a resolution, not just a thought of, here's something I might like to do, but a revolution, a transformation, a, a complete shift or change in our lives, not just a pledge, not just a, a promise. And we said, we need God's help. How many of you know, we need God's help, period. But if we're going to be moving forward, if, if we're, if we're going to be doing a, a revolution, a complete shift or change in our lives, it's got to be God doing that in us and through us. We need God's help. So, so far, we've looked at revolution number one. We said, don't live in the past. Celebrate some things. Look back to the past year. Look back to the past. Celebrate some of the things, but let's not live there. Last time together, Revolution number two, the challenge was to have a purpose in our present. So today, as we conclude revolution number three, I'm going to challenge us to refocus the future. Go back to our scripture in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, as Paul kind of gives a handful of these things, talk, uh, thinking about and mentioning the past, the present, and the future. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Forgetting what is behind. He's mentioned about the past. Don't live in the past. He also says, this one thing I do. He's talking about the present, but he doesn't leave out the future. He says, straining toward what is ahead. You ever think about the future? If you were a child, you remember as a child, and, and they would always ask the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he had all these thoughts, all these dreams, all these visions about the future. I'll never forget, and, and it's cute, and, and hopefully she doesn't kill me later, Brookie. Or was it Autumn? It's, okay, I'll just say it's one of our girls. Now that I start to tell the story, I'm, I'm forgetting which was which. But when they were little and you would ask them, what do you want to be when you grow up? I think I might, now that I'm saying this, I think it might have been Autumn. Her first said, she said, a princess. 
I mean, you know, it's kind of common. You, you're reading stories and you're watching Disney movies. So, and we thought that was cute, right? I mean, you go to princess school. Now, maybe you had a thought. Maybe it was firefighter. Maybe it was astronaut, doctor, teacher. I don't know. But as a, as a child, you're thinking down the road to the future. And, and you're wondering, you're straining towards what is ahead. And then as you, you start to grow up, sometimes those things change. Elementary, middle school, high school, and maybe that changes. And then the focus you have once you head towards college, or, or maybe you choose not to do college, or, or what job you do, or maybe you change jobs. Today's culture, people change jobs a whole lot more regularly than in generations past. And many times, people are struggling. They're, they're trying to figure out, what am I here for? What's the future like? Maybe that's you. You're wondering, what is ahead? So the challenge is, I believe, to refocus the future. Paul says, I'm straining toward what is ahead. First thought or first challenge is this. I believe we've got to narrow our focus. Again, from Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, and we referenced it last week, speaking about the present, but Paul says, here's one thing, but one thing I do. Now, before I move on, let me give a disclaimer. Don't walk out of here saying, Pastor Mark, preach that I only do one thing. So if you're asking me to do anything besides one thing, you're out of luck. My one thing is living. Anything outside of living, you're, you can forget it. Not necessarily saying we just do one thing. Paul was referencing he had done a number of things, right? He was a tent maker, a church planner, a preacher, an author. He was writing many of the books here of the New Testament. But Paul is saying, listen, I've not taken hold of you. One thing I do, I forget what's behind. I strain towards what is ahead. The emphasis here is Paul is saying, we're going to narrow down what it is that I'm focused on. If you take a look at your life, sometimes you realize uh, the, the proverbial phrase, having a lot of irons in the fire, wearing a lot of hats. I mean, there's all different ways to say that we're super busy. And we do a whole lot of stuff, right? And then, you know, a, a message or a series kind of like this, how we're starting the year fresh. And, and for some of you make resolutions and many of you don't. Or some of you have these challenges. And, and what we do is we keep adding. And we keep adding. And we're challenged about something else. And so we keep adding, we keep adding, we keep adding. And pretty soon, we're not able to keep up with all the stuff that we're doing. I think Paul's encouraging us to try to narrow our focus a little bit. For Paul, his top focus, it was seeking out God, uh, his relationship with God, pressing towards the prize of the high calling. He was getting ready for heaven. There's a lot of things he could have been doing, but he's narrowing his focus as he's living for the Lord. Sometimes in our lives, we, we end up doing so many things, but many of them half-heartedly. We just, we can't do them all. We can't effectively do them all. We attempt a lot of things, but we don't maybe finish a lot of things. Probably one of the first times that that thought or that concept struck me was back in Bible college. I had graduated high school in Connecticut, 
And God had challenged and spoken to my heart about ministry and directed me to Central Bible College, still in existence at that point in the 90s. Went to Central Bible College, Springfield, Missouri. I would be 24 drive time hours away from home. Do you want to talk about kind of that adjustment and kind of launching out, branching out on your own? I'll never forget, Mom, you might be watching this on YouTube, and, and you remember this. She had some training sessions with me before going to college, like to make sure I knew how to wash clothes in a washer and dryer and how to separate things so, you know, certain things didn't, didn't get pink. All of these preparation on how to live on my own. There was a bunch of things I was now needing to do that I did not oversee a lot before. Now, certainly, there's a lot of things when it comes to college. I, I wanted to do well in my education. I wanted to do well in schooling. I wanted to learn and, and grow in the different classes, preparing me for future. So education was an emphasis. Certainly, my walk with God spiritually was an emphasis. I mean, if I'm going to Bible college, this is not just about passing a class. I want to make sure that my walk with God continues and thrives and grows in Bible college, right? So education was an emphasis. The spiritual life with God was an emphasis. Ministry was an emphasis. I want to have an opportunity of ministering, not waiting until I got out of Bible college. And so throughout the, the years of college, I took part in ministry in a local church. Three out of the four years, uh, getting involved in James River on the worship team and, and many of the years getting involved on campus. Class council, the newspaper, this and that, and speaking here, preaching there. Getting involved in ministry was important. But then, the, well, there's finances that were also important. I got a job, and I'm, I'm working. I'm, I'm trying to make sure that I can pay off school so that I would be debt-free so I could literally go wherever God called me to go. And that's what happened. I, I worked was able to pay off the entire school bill by the time that I graduated, went to the first place of ministry and took a pay cut. Made more money working part-time during college than I did full-time after college. Finances were important. Education was important. Ministry was important. Spiritual life was important. Now listen, when it comes to College, Bible college or not, friendships and relationships are important, right? So you've got all of these things. You're trying to juggle them all. Something's got to give. Now, for me, I focused on the spiritual life and, and the education and the schooling, the ministry opportunities, and the finances of paying things off so I could be free to do and go where God called. For me, what ended up giving the most was that relational time. Kids were, some of the friends, they'd, they'd go out all different times throughout the week. They'd go out to eat for lunch. I'm like, I'm paying money for that cafeteria. I'm eating there. Well, I don't like it. Well, we got a snack shop. Well, I don't like that either. Well, I'm picking something. I'm going there. And they go out to eat multiple times in the evening. Guess where I was? Probably working. 
So I said no to a lot of things. Now, for me, the relationships were developed were, were those in the dorm room. Roommate, uh, suite mates, the, the people on the same floor who would kind of hang out. And, and uh, I'd get back from work many times, 1130 or midnight. And he'd kind of hang out with some of the people in the dorm, you know, midnight to one. That, that was the relational time. I could not do everything. Now, I did more than one thing, but I narrowed the focus. And I remember going through Bible college. There was kind of that, that, that wrestling of emotion. If I say no to this, I say no to some of the friendships, I'm going to say yes to maybe paying off some of the bills. But by saying yes to working more, I'm saying no. What you and I do I don't know what your focus might be. I don't know all the, the, the roles that you might be juggling, but the challenge here from Paul, I think, is to narrow the focus. Not that, not that we toss everything away, but is God number one in our heart and in our life? Well, what, are the, what are the things that are most important? He says, one thing I do, I'm forgetting what's behind. I'm, I'm shooting towards and straining towards what's ahead. He's focused on the basics of his walk, seeking to grow in God. I want to challenge us to narrow, to some degree, our focus. Secondly, let me challenge us to commit to some clear goals. Now, I'll use the word goal since no one seemed to like resolution. No one picked or said or, or raised their hand to say, I do resolutions. And, and as I mentioned, perhaps the hesitancy was maybe when we've done some resolutions, we haven't followed through with them. So maybe some of you who did, didn't raise a hand. So scrap the word resolution, but I challenge us perhaps to have some goals. As you're looking towards the future, as we are you know, doing some of the narrowing of our focus, what would be some goals to shoot for? Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2 and 3, the Lord replied, Write down the revelation, make it plain on tablets so a herald may run with it. The revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false, though it linger. Wait for it. It will certainly come and not delay. Maybe to, to paraphrase, you might say, write the vision, write the goals, write the things you're shooting for down, and clearly communicate it to yourself and to others that when others see it, they'll know what you're shooting for, and they'll know how you're running with it. The vision you're shooting for, the goals that you're aiming for, will take time and effort to be accomplished. And it'll be accomplished slowly and steadily. Commit to some clear goals. You might have heard the phrase, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. Some of us nail it. I mean, we nail the goal of nothing time and time and time again. The challenge would be, maybe set a handful of some goals. So let me just challenge you for a, a next number of minutes about what kind of goals? How would we put some of these goals together? Let me challenge you with this. I think the goals that we set or commit to need to be personal. Personal goals. They've got to be you and not somebody else. So take a look at somebody else here in the sanctuary. So if you're on this side, look over here. If you're on this side, look at somebody over here. And just in your mind, it'd be fun. In your mind, try to imagine that person you're looking at, try to imagine what goals they might choose. 
Now, you might chuckle, you might laugh, or you might be intimidated. I mean, here's the thing. When we think about other people with goals or we hear about other people and their goals, typically one of two things happens. The first thing that sometimes happens when we hear somebody else and their goals is our chest puffs out a little bit in pride because their goals don't seem to measure up to our goals. Whatever that goal might be. You know, maybe someone has a goal and they said, you know, this year I want to read through the New Testament. And you hear that and, and you think you haven't read through the Bible yet? I read through the Bible twice last year. Ha ha! Sometimes we hear a goal and because it's maybe not as aggressive or maybe not quite where we're at in a category, if we're not careful, our chest can kind of puff out in pride a little bit. The flip side, though, is sometimes when you hear somebody else's goal, you get a little discouraged because that person seems way, way, way ahead of you, and you get intimidated. You want to talk about intimidation? Came across this illustration of John Goddard. If, if you like more information, the website is johngoddard.info. Pretty interesting. At the age of 15 years old, his mom challenged him to make and commit and jot down on paper some real goals, not just for that year, but for his life. So at the age of 15, he sat down and composed 127 life goals. They're all listed on the website. I won't read them all to you, but here's a handful of those goals. Eight of, the, eight of those goals were exploring eight of the world's rivers. Sixteen of those goals involved climbing 16 of the world's tallest mountains. So eight rivers, 16 mountains, he's still got nearly 100 other goals. How many of you are feeling a little intimidated already? And we're just getting going. He wanted to ride a horse in the Rose Bowl Parade. He wanted to learn fencing and jujitsu. He wanted to build his own telescope. He wanted to run a five-minute mile. He wanted to learn French, Spanish, and Arabic languages. He wanted to read the entire Encyclopedia Britannica. You ever seen one of those? I mean, how many volumes? I mean, it, it literally takes up a whole bookshelf by itself, right? He wanted to read the entire Encyclopedia Britannica. He wanted to milk a poisonous snake. I don't understand. I mean, we've got milk, goat milk, oat milk, almond milk. <laughs> he wanted to milk a poisonous snake. He wanted to circumnavigate, go entirely around the globe. Check this out. This was listed as only one goal, but he wanted to visit every single country in the world. That's one of his 127 goals. By the time that he died in 2013, he only needed 30 more countries to accomplish that. Suffice it to say, that's not one of the ones he accomplished. Oh, and by the way, one of his goals... If he would have been around uh, in today's day and culture, he might have accomplished it. He wanted to visit the moon. By the time he passed away in 2013, he had accomplished 111. 
Keep in mind, one of the ones he did not accomplish was visiting every country, and he visited all but 30. Now, pause. Take a deep breath and know that if you're comparing yourself to John Goddard and his goals, you're probably going to feel a little intimidated. You're probably going to feel like, man, I come up short. So the goals must be personal. We don't need to try to compare to someone else. We don't need to, you know, try to add a whole bunch of others to impress someone else. But having a handful of goals that we shoot for would be good. Just make them personal. As well as personal, I believe goals need to be written down. How many times have you had some idea in your mind and you thought, I'm going to do this. And you started out pretty well, and he started out pretty well, and he probably at some point encountered some challenges or difficulties, and then maybe you kind of forgot about it. And time goes on, and then something happens, jogs your memory, thought, oh, yeah. Writing something down, a little bit of accountability for yourself or perhaps for others, it's that visual guide of something to shoot for. Goals down on paper, uh, paper many times can help us at least improve the chances of reaching them. Here's an interesting study. Someone did a study about Harvard graduates, and they did a 10-year study, graduates from Harvard, as to whether they had goals or not and what happened. 83% of those in the study had absolutely no goals. 14% of these graduates in 10 years had goals. It says they were worth six times as much as the ones with zero goals after 10 years. 3%, only 3% of Harvard graduates during this study had goals that were written down. But they found out that after 10 years, they were worth nearly 300 times as much as those with zero goals. Now, everybody's going to run home and just start writing something down on paper and carrying that paper around. I got it doesn't mean it's this magic sauce to riches. The, the challenge is having something written, having it before you, it's that challenge, that continual challenge day after day after day to shoot for and aim toward your goal. So I think our goals need to be personal. They need to be written down. They need to be measurable. That's the only way that you know whether you've reached a goal or not is if you can measure it. If it's not measurable, there's no sense of progress. If you can't measure them, you can't achieve them because you never know when you reach them, and that can frustrate you. How many of you have maybe at one point in your life, you've had this goal or this sense or this nudge, and your thought this year is, I want to grow spiritually this year. That's a great thought. That is a great goal. But how do you know if you've grown spiritually? I feel it. I got some extra goosebumps this year that I didn't have last year. I had goosebumps twice as all. How do you measure growing in God? So maybe have some measurable things about maybe in reading the Bible or time spent in prayer or times in the house of God or times to, to share our faith with others. What are a handful of some spiritual things that we can measure? Or maybe you've had the thought, well, I, I want to improve in my finances. Again, that's one of the, the biggest ones when we mentioned about resolutions that people make. 
A number of them involved finances, getting out of debt or increasing savings. If we just simply say, I want my finances to be better, what does that mean? Well, maybe something measurable. I want to pay off X amount of debt in X amount of time. That's a measurable goal. I know whether I've hit that goal or not. I want to, I want to build up X amount of emergency fund in a, in a savings account in X amount of months. Something measurable in our finances. Or improving at school. I want to do better. What does that mean? Improving in a grade and improving on a test score. So something measurable. What, what kind of elements will make this goal possible or successful? We can break them down. If you're wanting in a spiritual goal, you say, I want to read through the entire New Testament this year. That's, that's measurable. Now break it into chunks. Don't wait until December 30th to start. Okay, take a look, grab a Bible reading guide, and, and one of those, one of those columns is all about the New Testament. And begin checking off the boxes so that in a year's time you can read all the way through the New Testament. And you can you can see your progress. It's it's measurable. You can check certain things off. So sometimes we say, I want to grow, I want to do this, I want to improve, but we can't measure it, so we don't know whether we've hit it or not, and then we get irritated or frustrated. So let them be measurable. Let them also be realistic. Realistic. Now, here's the balance, because you want to have your faith stretched a little bit, but you also need to have some reality. True? If our thought is, I want to grow in God, I want to read through the Word of God, I want to read through the Bible 10 times this year, 12 times. I want to read the whole Bible every single month this year. That's, a, that's an awesome goal. But if you have not read through the Word of God once, that might not be the most realistic way to start. Maybe start with the New Testament or start with the Old Testament. You know, get that done in one year and maybe grow a little bit, stretch a little further next year. So something that is reachable, but maybe stretching your faith a little bit. I mean, if your goal is, I want to read, let me see, I want to read the book of, the entire book of Jude in 2022. That's very, very reachable, but not very stretchable. I mean, you would literally read that in just a, a couple minutes. So, yes, we want something that we can reach, but we also want something that's a little bit of a stretching of our face. Make it something realistic. We don't need to try to impress somebody. We don't, don't come up with 127 just because John Goddard had that. But have a handful of some things that we can shoot for. It's a, the balance between faith and reality, whether that's a spiritual goal, a physical goal, a, a relational goal, a financial goal. So goals, they're hopefully personal, written down, measurable, realistic. I also challenge you to have a deadline when it comes to goals. A deadline. How many of you know when it's right before an important day, if it's right before a vacation, if it's right before you're heading out somewhere, you and I, we tend to be super productive. We've got all these things on our list that needs to get done before we go to this place, should we go to that place, should we take a week off here, or we go and do this. Because once we leave, 
If it's not, if it's not done, it's not getting done. And it's amazing. We, we, we get super productive and we just knocking all these things off of our list. Unfortunately, many times, without a deadline, what do we think? I can always do it tomorrow. It's not a big thing if it waits until next week. And pretty soon, some of these goals, some of these things that we're shooting for, they keep getting put off and put off and put off and put off. I'd venture to say at some point, you and I have done pretty well in procrastinating. It's, just, it's human nature. But then vacation time comes. Oh, man, I got to get this done, this done, this done, or just, you know, amazing how much we get done that day or two or week before an important day. So set some kind of a time line, time frame. So I challenge us, narrow our focus, commit to some clear goals, and then finally, let's restructure our priorities. What is most important to you and I? I think of Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus himself said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We often, we get so wrapped up in the seeking of all these other things, we often forget the most important thing is to seek God first. Don't just seek out the good things in life. Seek out the God things. There's a lot of stuff, a lot of things that we can get involved in, but Paul made God his number one goal. There's a lot of things that Paul did. We mentioned the tent maker, the preacher, uh, church planner. But above all else, when God changed his heart, his desire was, I'm going to serve God, and I'm going to make sure I'm, I'm striving towards heaven. I'm striving to live what God has for me. What is most important? It really ties in with thought number one about narrowing our focus. As we begin to narrow our focus and, and some of these things are kind of left on the sideline, we see the most important things in front of us. And as we see what's most important, many times we restructure our priority, restructure our time, restructure our finances to make sure that what's most important gets done. Author Stephen Covey shared this, and you can find him on the internet as well. It's entitled, The Big Rocks of Life. He shares this. One day, an expert was speaking to a group of business students, and to drive home a point, used an illustration the students will never forget, and he shares about that. As this man stood in front of the group of these high-powered overachievers, he said, okay, students, it's time for a quiz. He pulled out a one-gallon wide-mouthed mason jar and set it on the table in front of him. Then he brought out about a dozen kind of fist-sized rocks and carefully, one at a time, set them on the table next to the jar. He placed one by one each of those stones into the jar. When the jar was filled all the way to the top, it would not hold one more rock. He turns to the students and he asks this question. Is the jar full? Everyone in the class, they, you know, they nod their head. They said, yes. 
The teacher looked at them. He said, really? And he reached under the table and brought out a bucket of gravel and began to shake some gravel into the jar and, and shake the jar until the tiny pieces of gravel fit in between the large rocks. And now the gravel filled its way all the way up to the top. Then he smiled and asked the group of students once more, is this jar full? Students were on to him now. And they said, no. He said, you're right. And once again, from beneath the table, he, he picks a, a bag or a bucket of sand, and he begins dumping the sand, and now the sand works its way in between the rocks and the gravel, shaking it until now it seemed like it was filled to the top. He asked the question once again, is this jar full? Students were ready. They said, no. Once more, he said, good. From beneath the table, he grabbed a pitcher of water and began to fill that jar up with water. The water would work its way in between the sand, in between the gravel, in between the rocks, until it worked its way to the very top of that wide mouth mason jar. Now, he looked at his students, trying to get them to process what he had just done, and he said, what is the point of this illustration. One eager student who was first to speak raised his hand and shouted something that maybe you and I might think of, what you and I might come to our minds. And this student said, the point is, no matter how full your schedule is, if you try really, really, really hard, you can always fit and squeeze something else into it. And the teacher smiled, shook his head, and said, no. That's not the point. He said the point of this illustration, it teaches us this. If you don't put the big rocks in first, you'll never get them in at all. If you don't put the big rocks, if you don't place the big rocks of priority in your life, you'll never get them in at all. Imagine if he had reversed. Imagine if he started with water or sand or gravel and began filling everything up and then realized, oh, I've got 10 or 12 or 15 of these large fist-sized rocks and I've got to squeeze them in. It's not going to happen. You've got to put the big rocks in first. It's a great thought for life, but think about it spiritually. We say, I want to grow in God. I want to know God. Are we putting the big rocks of time spent with God into our life first as a priority? Have we restructured things so that if we say time with God's important, we've blocked out some time for God, reading the Bible and praying? We say, I want God first on my life and everything, but then maybe we're giving God our leftovers of our time or the leftovers in our finances. We say, well, family is important. We say school is important or this or that, but they tend to get our leftovers. The challenge is put the big rocks in, the, the big priorities of life. Certainly there's a, a lot of things that we would do well to, to think about. The big rocks spiritually and time spent with God. Big rocks of family or job or school. Some of the things that you and I are involved in. 
here at the beginning of a brand new year, it's a great time to think ahead. What, what is it that I can commit to? What are some goals I can shoot towards? God, not just can I grow in you, but how can I grow? How and what will I do this year to grow in you? And then begin to structure or restructure our life according to those priorities. They say everybody ends up somewhere. Some simply end up there on purpose. I want to encourage you to have a purpose in the present and begin to refocus the future. I think Paul challenges us. Begin to narrow down the focus that we have. Commit to some clear goals and then restructure the priorities in our life. 